think it's a crisis in conservatism. We've lost confidence that we are right. Republicans wrap up a meeting this weekend, and it may have clues that point to the future of the GOP. I'm Aisha Roscoe. And I'm Scott Simon, and this is Up First from NPR News. It's the big conservative political action conference. Will it be a gut check for the right wing or more of a rallying cry? We'll take a look. Estonians head to the polls tomorrow. Will they re-elect a prime minister who's been standing up to Vladimir Putin? And Americans keep filling their shopping baskets and spending money. So why are retailers worried? Stay with us. We've got the news you need to start your weekend. The conservative gathering that's called CPAC, for short, and the former president, Donald Trump, is set to close out the show today. It's been a pro-Trump event, raising some questions about where the Republican Party is headed as we approach another presidential election. NPR senior political editor and correspondent Domenico Montanaro joins us now. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Usually before an election year, CPAC is a place where, you know, people who want to run for president, they make speeches, they play to the crowd, maybe hug some flags. (laughs) But that didn't happen this year, right, Domenico? Right. Uh, You know, I don't know about the uh, flag hugging. That very well may have taken place. And we remember Donald Trump having done that at CPAC one year. That really takes me back. Uh, But CPAC's traditionally a place for thousands of conservatives to get together, often young conservatives who are looking to volunteer on campaigns and check out who they might support for president. But there weren't many opportunities for that this time around because not many of them showed up. You know, we did hear from Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor who worked as UN ambassador in the Trump administration. Here's some of what she had to say as she tried to appeal to the right wing of the party. Wokeness is a virus more dangerous than any pandemic hands down. I have traveled the world and back, and I've seen what's out there. America isn't perfect, but the principles at the heart of America are perfect. And take it from me, the first minority female governor in history, America is not a racist country. There's a lot in that, and you can tell the kind of line she's walking there. You know, she's trying to throw some red meat to the base, hoping to win them over, but she really has to win over white-collar Republicans. They live in suburbs, big cities, because those are the people in the Republican Party who are saying that they most want an alternative to Trump. Uh, Mike Pompeo was also there. Um, He was Trump's uh, CIA director and secretary of state and could be considering a run for president. Did he try to distinguish himself at all from his former boss? He did. He seems to be trying to make an electability argument and a character one. Take a listen to some of that. We lost three elections in a row and the popular vote in seven of the last eight. There are many reasons for this, but one of them is I think they've lost trust in the conservative ideas. And this is the task that's in front of us. And I am convinced we can do it because we're right. You know, Pompeo also talked about being a Sunday school teacher, which he was, and the country needing that kind of character. But this wasn't exactly a barn burner of a speech, and neither was Haley's, to be totally honest. You know, they spoke in front of half-empty audiences and at best got really lukewarm receptions. So uh, based on your observations of what happened at CPAC this week, like, w- what do you make of the conservative movement right now? 
You know, it really is pretty fractured. You know, this weekend really highlighted that, not just at CPAC, because CPAC itself was the Trump show. Ticket sales there were down, though. And the biggest news was who wasn't there. You know, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, and Trump's former Vice President Mike Pence all opted to go to a donor retreat in Florida hosted by the Club for Growth, which is an anti-tax conservative group that's played in Republican politics for a while. They've also vowed to financially back a Republican other than Trump for president this time around. So these candidates really need a group like that. But despite more than half of potential Republican voters saying in our latest polling that they think someone other than Trump would give them the best chance to win, his control over the party infrastructure and a potentially crowded field here makes him look like the man to beat. That's NPR's Domenico Montanaro. Domenico, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Kaya Kallis has been making waves lately by criticizing Vladimir Putin. That's in addition to becoming the first woman to be prime minister of Estonia. So when Estonian voters head to the polls this weekend, will they support her again? For that, we turn to NPR's Rob Schmitz in Berlin. Good morning, Rob. Morning, Asia. So, Rob, Estonia was a former Soviet republic and now, as an independent country, has one of the fiercest critics of Russia as its prime minister. Like, what are the chances that her party maintains a hold on power? Pretty high. Um, Kaya Kalas is the leader of the country's reform party and will likely emerge as prime minister for another term. This is very much a wartime election for Estonia, and the country's political parties all seem to be trying to outdo each other in how much they're promising to spend on defense. Estonia's population is just over a million people, and many citizens are really concerned about their own national security given their proximity with Russia and their history as a former Soviet republic. The government of Prime Minister Kallas is now spending 3% of the country's GDP on defense, an historical high for Estonia, and her government has given Ukraine the equivalent of 1% of its GDP in military assistance. That's, that's more than any other country in terms of its population-to-GDP ratio. Wow, I mean, that's that's a lot. Yeah. So uh, how real is the threat that Russia would invade Estonia? Well, many Estonians fear that it really could happen. Russian President Vladimir Putin has made threats in the past year that back up these fears. In June, on the 350th anniversary of the birthday of Peter the Great, Russia's first emperor, Putin made a speech in which he recalled Peter's conquering the Baltic region, which includes parts of Estonia, and he hinted that returning these lands to Russia now fell to him and his government. And of course, that caused quite a stir among Estonians, many who remember how difficult life was under Soviet rule. And it's worth pointing out here that St. Petersburg in Russia is less than a three-hour drive to Estonia. And of course, there are still many Russian-speaking citizens in Estonia. So so how are they expected to vote in this election? Yeah, around a quarter of Estonia's population identifies ethnic Russians. This population has been under a lot of stress in the past year as Estonia's government has removed Soviet-era monuments across the country and has ratcheted up its rhetoric against Russia. Many Russian speakers in Estonia vote for what's called the Center Party, a conservative traditional party that has in the past had ties with Russia. But since the war began, the party insists it's cut those ties. This is a wartime election, and having overt ties to Moscow is not going to win them many points. So they've changed their rhetoric on Russia, and many Russians in Estonia have done the same. So why is this election in Estonia an important one for Americans to pay attention to? 
Well, Estonia is a key member of the eastern flank of NATO. It's essentially the West's front line against an increasingly aggressive Russia. I spoke to the German Marshall Fund's Christine Berzina about why Estonia is important to U.S. interests. Here's what she told me. The location of these countries, the pro-American, pro-European, economically successful, resourceful, democratic, human rights-loving nature of the eastern flank countries is something that Russia sees as a threat to it. But these countries are the most loyal and most reliable allies for the United States. And Aisha, Brezina says, unlike other European countries like Hungary or even here in Germany where I am, Estonia is completely in line with the U.S. on its security goals in the region and how it sees the threat from Russia. So even though Estonia is a small Baltic country, it's a really important ally for the U.S. That's NPR's Rob Schmitz joining us from Berlin. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks a lot. Aisha, had you heard a lot of people enjoy shopping? You know, I, I, I like to spend money on some things. And I, I think a lot of Americans feel that way because Americans are not just shopping a lot. They are also buying a lot. And yet big chain stores are still anxious about the year ahead, according to a bunch of recent financial reports from large retailers. NPR retail correspondent Alina Seljuk has read them all. What fun! She joins us now. Thanks for being with us, Alina. <laughs> it really was. It really was. So why are food and retail giants, uh, I'll put it this way, fretful? About this coming year? Sure. They And here I just want to clarify, we're talking about stores you really know, like Walmart, Target, Wendy's. And they kept talking about everyone's favorite word, uncertainty, or to quote Walmart CEO, the unknown unknowns. We kind of know what they are. Inflation, the Federal Reserve's plan for interest rates, slowdown in the housing market, growing household debt. Who knows what happens with the supply chain, the war in Ukraine. And that's how you get these super anxious forecasts, even when customers are spending a lot. Like Target is saying sales may grow or maybe they won't. Or McDonald's CEO saying shoppers are doing a ton better than we could have predicted even six months ago. But then maybe we'll face a mild to moderate recession this year. Could they be hedging their bets, uh, which I guess first just might be sagacious, but also just so their investors don't get riled? Just sort of set the bar low. I actually posed this question to Arun Sundaram, who tracks retail and food companies at equity research firm CFRA. He said that's probably part of it. Certainly, they retailers like to set the bar low and then come in and exceed those expectations. But I think the other part is really the uncertainty on the macro environment. You know, inflation has been stubbornly high. We don't know what the Federal Reserve is going to do. There's a lot of debate on that right now. You heard it again, uncertainty. Plus, shoppers are still changing how they spend. Home Depot had a rough end of the year and blamed part of it on the fact that people are dedicating more of their budgets to activities and trips instead of things. Store brands are having a big moment. People shopping for these cheaper private brands instead of the big national brands. That includes higher income shoppers who are also increasingly turning up in Walmart's grocery aisles or at Wendy's instead of maybe some pricier restaurant. Dollar Tree CEO specifically called out shoppers earning over $80,000 a year as trading down and coming to dollar stores. Of course, the dollar stores, every store has been raising prices, too. That must be having an impact, isn't it? 
with groceries and food, I just want to say that doesn't seem to be the case yet. People seem to be still paying higher prices for food. Wendy's executives, for example, said they haven't seen any visible pushback to their price increases. What about beyond food and groceries? Yes, very much so, because shoppers are kind of having to decide whether to pay that 20 bucks on eggs and milk or to buy a, I don't know, random shirt they don't really need, not necessity. One big outlier on this is beauty. People apparently are splurging on makeup, skincare, perfumes. And so, for example, Target and Kohl's said sales at the beauty counter are helping offset losses maybe in other departments. But overall, clothing, home improvement stores, other stores that don't sell essentials are feeling the pain to various degrees. Best Buy, for one, gave one of the most dire forecasts for the year, predicting it will be the worst year yet for sales of consumer electronics. NPR retail correspondent Alina Siljuk, thanks so much. Thank you. And that's up first for Saturday, March 4th, 2023. I'm Aisha Roscoe. And I'm Scott Simon. Tomorrow, Pop Culture Happy Hour dives into the picks for the Academy Awards Best Picture category. And as always, you can find us on the radio every Saturday and Sunday morning for Weekend Edition from NPR News. Find your NPR station at stations.npr.org.